Well, good morning. How you doing? You okay? I just want to apologise before I start for my legs. Um, if, the, if the glare is too much, um, feel free to close your eyes and just listen. That's okay. Maybe if on the live stream we can film from waist up, that'll help people um, as we progress this morning. I, was just, I felt it was too, it's too hot. It's too hot for jeans, isn't it? It's too hot. Um, I wonder, what's the most unwise decision that you've ever made? What's the most unwise decision you've ever made? Those shorts here. <laughs> I'm beginning to sense that may be the case. Maybe you went out for a, a curry with some mates and just sort of impressed them. You had the, the hottest thing on the menu. Anyone done that? Steve's got his hand up. That's the sort of decision that you regret at the time and then the next morning as well, isn't it? What about decisions in trying to impress a boy or a girl? Anyone made any mistakes there? Maybe got a, a tattoo of their face somewhere? Inappropriate? Anyone? No? Bev? Yeah. Um. There's a lot of honesty in the room today. I like this. There's a lot of, a lot of honesty. Finding things out about people. Maybe you got a bit carried away on a night out. The police got involved. Bev again. Good grief. Wow. <laughs> Maybe it was just a a hefty credit card bill at some point, whatever it was. We all make unwise decisions from time to time, don't we? We all do things that maybe we regret. I remember when I was um, in high school, I was invited by um, uh, some friends to go and play football on the school field. Um, not a regular occurrence for me, so I was quite, quite excited about it. And uh, rather than walk the extra distance that it required to get to the entrance of the school field, I decided instead to um, climb the spiked fence that surrounded it um, and just jump down the other side. And uh, I made it to the top of the fence, no problem, but what I didn't realize was that my jeans had gone over the spikes on the top of the fence. And so when I jumped off, um, they tore through and left me pinned upside down <coughs> to the fence, um, a situation that was very quickly made worse when I saw my PE teacher um, with an after-school class running towards me from the other side of the field. Um, eventually, I was able to break free by sort of bouncing until my jeans tore through and I ran home with my trousers flapping in the wind. And I, Thank you. Thank you for whoever said, ah, I, pre I appreciate that, the concern. I don't really remember what my um, parents said now, but it's probably something along the lines of, well, that was stupid. Maybe next time, use your brain. Because as parents, we do our best, don't we, to teach our kids wisdom, to teach them to be wise. And, and in a very real sense, we have to, because we can't protect them forever. We can't account for every single situation that they're going to face. They have to make their own decisions in life. And as I read through this chapter this week of Ephesians, Ephesians 5, and do open your Bibles if you've got them with you, I got the sense that Paul was trying to dispense some wisdom of his own. In fact, he even says in verse 15 of Ephesians 5, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. But of course, wisdom... It's a really tricky thing to teach, isn't it? Because 
as I said already, we can never account for every situation that a person is going to face. Had my parents known how dumb I was going to turn out, I'm sure they'd have taken me to that fence and walked me around it and said, you see those spikes on top? That means you should never climb it, Daniel, ever. And so what Paul does is he provides us with some examples of wise living. Some examples that were from his own time, his own context, his own experiences. And it's up, for, it's up to us then to work out what they mean here and now. What they mean for us. That's where wisdom comes into this. So he writes in verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul begins with this, this really important statement. He tells us that we're to follow God's example as dearly loved children. And it's the as in that sentence that I really want you to take note of here. Because we don't follow God's example so that he will love us, but because he loves us, as a parent loves a child. And Paul is making a really important distinction here that we mustn't miss. Because the examples of wise living he's about to give us are not given as means of, of currying God's favor or even uh, staying in God's good books, but rather their descriptions of what our lives should look like as dearly loved children. And we know that God loves us. We know that um, he loves us because Christ demonstrates it on the cross. As it says in verse 2, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And it's really, it's really important, actually, that we don't miss that. It's really important that we start right there because if we don't, when we do mess up, which, let's be honest, we do frequently, we might feel as though we can't run into our Father's arms. We might feel as though our failure somehow precludes us from God's grace and God's mercy, but it never does, ever. God is that prodigal's father waiting and watching for us to return so that he can lavish his ridiculous love on us again. Every parent knows that despite our best efforts, our kids are still going to make unwise decisions. It's just what kids do. It's what we all do. But we never want them to feel as though their actions have caused us to stop loving them, would we? So, let's take a look at some of this wisdom then that Paul has for us. And he launches in at verse 3. He says, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. So again, Paul reminds us that we are holy, we are set apart, we are loved, and therefore our lives should look different. But how exactly should they look different? Well, the first thing he focuses on is sexual immorality. And in fact, um, in the Greek language, the, the language that Paul wrote this letter in, the word he uses is pornea. And pornea has, um, in the first century, quite a wide and, and varied meaning. 
from uh, anything from like promiscuity or adultery through to sort of paedophilia and bestiality. But perhaps one of the biggest issues in Paul's day, and maybe what he had in mind when he wrote this, was prostitution. Because it was something that was easily available and entirely socially acceptable in Greek and Roman society. Men who were seen as having the highest social status were free to use prostitutes of either sex whenever they pleased, without consequence, without shame, without being looked down upon even. However, the prostitutes themselves were mostly slaves, sex slaves, poorly treated, and they had to pay high tax for the work that they did, which cost little more than a loaf of bread. And then, of course, there were diseases, there were unwanted pregnancies. Life expectancy of prostitutes in the first century was short. It was certainly not a career you would ever choose for yourself. And so, for a follower of Christ to go to a prostitute, it wasn't just about personal gratification, but it was about supporting a system of injustice and abuse that existed at the time. It's no wonder Paul says, let there not be a hint of it among you. In no way does it demonstrate love for God or love for his creation. Quite the opposite, in fact. Of course, today, 2,000 years later, things look a little bit different. It's not to say that, that prostitution doesn't exist. Of, of course it does, but it's a little harder to come by, at least. It's a little less socially acceptable. But there are still systems of injustice and abuse that exist in our time. And especially when it comes to this area of sex. And that's why we need wisdom when it comes to working out what this means for us. We need to ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to walk in the way of love? That phrase that Paul uses in verse 1. When it comes to my own sexuality. What does it mean for me to walk in the way of love in how I treat other people? As someone who is loved and redeemed by God, how should I behave? How should I act in this world? Sure, as Paul suggests, we shouldn't engage in prostitution, but what about, what about pornography? Is that harmful to others? Is it harmful to the way that I view other people? The way I use people? Is it harmful to myself, to my relationships, present or future? Does it support an industry of abuse? These are the sorts of questions we need to ask ourselves. This is why it requires a bit of thought and why it requires a bit of wisdom. Paul goes on and gives us another example in verse 4. He says, Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Well... Come on now, Paul. Surely we've all engaged in a bit of banter from time to time, right? You know, can't Paul take a joke? It's uh, political correctness gone mad. Except when it isn't. Except when our words actually end up hurting people or excluding them or making them feel inferior. When banter becomes cutting sarcasm or name-calling or humiliation or even intimidation. I mean, just think about um, toxic masculinity, something that's been highlighted a lot in recent years. It often uses 
um, humor and obscenity to create a sense of shame and inadequacy. You see, in as much as we need wisdom for how we are to use our sexuality in the most loving way, we also need wisdom in how we are to use our words in the most loving way too. A sexist joke might seem okay down the pub with your mates, but what about the woman who overhears? She heard the same joke earlier that day, directed at her by her abusive partner, and the laugh she hears from your friends confirm her worst fears that all men are the same. What about the person who's struggling with low self-esteem, the person who hates their own body, what about that person who has suffered years and years and years of racial abuse? What about that person who's been physically assaulted because of their sexuality, shamed into hiding away their true feelings? How might our words in those contexts affect them? What might be an innocent jest or jape to us could be life or death for somebody else. Our words can have unintended consequences. And so we need to ask ourselves again, what does it look like for me to walk in the way of love when it comes to my words? One more example from Paul. In verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Notice he only mentions wine, not beer. So there may be a loophole. Gin is fine. Tequila. Um, Vodka. Um, no, I'm just messing. Because, of course, the drink, again, is not the issue. And, in fact, the drunkenness itself isn't the issue. It's about what it leads to, right? It's about the journey that we're on. For some, a few glasses of Pinot on a Friday night leads to a really good time, maybe a relaxing time at the end of a difficult week. But for others, drinking can have very negative consequences indeed. Anger, addiction, violence, a loss of control. It can lead to others getting hurt. That's why two of the 12 steps on the AA's recovery program are about making amends with people that we've hurt. It can be very unloving indeed. And so again, instead of seeing this as this hard and fast rule that we have to follow because it's in the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, what does it look like for me to walk in the way of love when it comes to my drinking? Is my drinking hurting others? Is my drinking hurting myself? And so Paul gives us these three areas, these three examples of places that we, we need to exercise wisdom, sex, banter, and booze. But of course, our lives are much richer than that. I mean, I hope they are, at least. And so we need to learn to ask ourselves, what does it look like for us to walk in the way of love in every area of our life? What does it look like to, to walk in the way of love when I'm at work? What does it look like to walk in the way of love when I'm thinking about my finances? How do I walk in the way of love when I'm, when I'm talking to somebody else? When I'm talking about somebody else? How do I walk in the way of love when I pop to Aldi after church? I've seen you. I know you're there. But Paul never gave us any advice on that. And so it's up to us as dearly loved children to figure this out for ourselves. And in fact, that's exactly what Paul tells us to do. If you look at verses 8 and 10, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, 
For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And find out what pleases the Lord. In every area of your life, by loving God, by loving yourself, and by loving those around you. You know, we need to be willing to ask ourselves those tough questions. Questions like, am I walking in the way of love? Am I bringing light into the world or darkness? Am I following the example that Jesus gave me as a beloved child of God? Sometimes I think we, we open the Bible looking for better answers when really what it's wanting to do is give us better questions. Questions to live our lives by. Questions to help us make these wise decisions for ourselves. And we mustn't be afraid of that. And so as we reflect on these words for ourselves, as we think about them for ourselves, ask yourself, what areas of your life need those questions this morning? So before I finish, I just want to point out two useful tools that I think Paul gives us in this passage that help us on this journey of wisdom. Firstly, the thing he mentions a few times is thankfulness. Thankfulness. See. Um, says it about it in verse 4 that we've already looked at, but also then in verse 20, he talks about how we should always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we seek to walk in the way of love and live as children of light, it benefits us to remain thankful. It benefits us to remember all that we have in Christ, the, the many blessings that we have received. It benefits us to remember how fortunate we really are. If we just go back again to those example that, the examples that Paul gives us, sex, banter, and booze. When we misuse them, when we behave unwisely, it's often because we are dissatisfied or discontented with our lives, right? We use our sexuality in destructive ways when we're dissatisfied with what we currently have. That's where adultery and promiscuity and um, porn addiction and things like that come in. <clears throat> We use humor and coarse language as a coping mechanism to distract us from our own discontent. And and sometimes we we get drunk to forget or because we somehow feel that we need to drink in order to be worth anything. But when we remain thankful, we are better able to recognize all that we have in front of us, to, to value it and to celebrate it. And we begin to recognize ourselves again as those children of God, beloved and and created and full of purpose and hope. We no longer need to tear others down to make ourselves feel better or, or, or drink to somehow improve our situation. Thankfulness keeps us on that path of wisdom. And secondly, Paul encourages us to be filled with the Spirit. In verses 18 and 19, he writes, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And we're going to do that again in just a moment. The the band are going to come and lead us. In fact, actually, if the band want to start making their way up to the stage, that would be great. But I think Paul has in mind more than just quoting Scripture or singing songs. I think he is encouraging us to get connected with the part of God's Spirit that lives within us. Because, you know, being filled with the Spirit is more than just that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling we might get on a Sunday morning. It's about learning to listen to the voice of God so that we can find out what pleases Him 
and what benefits us and indeed the world. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's an oxymoron. It means that we sacrifice ourselves as we live for him. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's spirit at work within us leads us to wisdom when we learn to listen to it. So let me just finish this morning, um, not with Paul's words, but with Jesus' words. Jesus' words found in Matthew's gospel, because I think they fit so well with what we've been talking about this morning. This is Matthew 5, verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp or put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let me pray for you. God, our Heavenly Father, I thank you that we are beloved children, dearly, wholly, completely loved by you. And God, I pray as your children, as those children of light, God, we would learn to walk in that light. Father, we would ask ourselves that hard question of what does it look like for me to walk in the way of love when it comes to every area of my life, my sexuality, my greed, my words, my drinking, my finances, my friends, my family, my job, all of it. God, I pray that you would enable us to walk in that way of love. Give us your wisdom. Fill us with your spirit, God. Guide us, we pray, and keep us thankful. God, remind us of all that we have in you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.